But I'm excited today because it's the first time I get to preach since I decided to have a head-on collision with a pool. Um, and I'm really excited about that. If you don't know, I put about a four-inch gash in the top of my head a couple weeks ago. That was a blast. Totally being sarcastic. But not only that, but this week I've been in a pastor's conference all week. Um, and just getting poured into, and so I might preach for three hours. The Saints don't play. It's the last Sunday I can do that without the Saints playing, I think. So, oh, I got two more Sundays, huh? Two hours a week. That's what's going to happen. Done. No, I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. We're going to be starting a new series today. I don't have a cool title for the series just yet. I hope I get one. Maybe the Lord give me one. But we're going to be talking about faith for the next several weeks. And I think that this is something that is exactly on time for us as a church Not just because of what we're going through as a body with our building and everything, but also with what many people in this church are facing. We need faith. We need fresh faith. We need active faith. We need full faith. We need strong faith. Amen? How many of you know that you can have faith, but it can be like, meh? Right? Meh. I don't want meh faith. I want faith that can take down mountains and faith that can kill giants. Amen? Pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and your presence. I pray that you'd go before me and soften every heart. Prepare the soil of every heart to receive the word today. God, let it come out of my mouth with none of my own opinion, but all of you and every person under the sound of my voice. Leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. My sophomore year of high school, well, not just my sophomore year, but all throughout my life, um, One of the biggest days of the year in my family when I was growing up was the opening day of deer season, which was the Saturday before Thanksgiving. And as if my dad was here, he wouldn't want you to look at him, but he would be nodding his head in agreement because at about the end of September, all the hunting stuff began coming out the attic and it began getting washed and then it wouldn't get put away. It would kind of pile up by the, by the door, by the piano and the thermostat would gradually find itself getting lower and my dad would stop shaving to grow his beard out and it was like this whole persona change when it got close to the opening day of deer season and so that was a big deal for me like if my parents wanted me to do something they just had to threaten that I couldn't go and this one particular year I was I was a sophomore in high school and I don't know about you when you were a sophomore but when I was a sophomore a clean room was like an annoyance like I got things to do the room don't have to be perfect Yes, okay, I'll take the food out and the drink out that I snuck in that you didn't know about. Yes, I'll get that out. But I don't need the room to be spotless. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got things to do. Well, that wasn't obviously acceptable now as a parent. I kind of get that. I don't get it as much as my wife does, but I do get it that the room needs to be clean. But, so here was the deal. It is the Saturday before opening weekend. Dad comes up to me and he says, hey, you want to go next weekend? I said, yeah. He said, all right. He said, you got to have your room clean. You got you to pass the math test you have on Wednesday. And what was the other thing? I want to make sure I say it right. And I had to be home. Yeah, passing a math test. Y'all don't know what that was. Like, not just passing. I had to get at least a B on a math test, which, you know, might as well be, hey, can I borrow 10 grand? But, so, I had to, I had, I had the room clean. I had to get at least a B on the math test. And I had to be home from the band rehearsal by 5.30 on Friday or I wasn't going. Now, that was a pretty steep request for a 15-year-old. But today I'm talking about faith, and I'm going to tell you why that story matters in a few minutes. But if you would open your Bibles to Hebrews 11, chapter 1, Hebrews 11, verse 1. I'm having trouble talking this morning. I don't know why. I'm excited. I guess that's what it is. But maybe it's the head. It could be. I don't know. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith 
is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to give it to you in the ESV as well this morning. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When my dad came in my room and he gave me the list of things, the cleaning the room, the getting the grade, and being home from rehearsal on, fr- on that Friday, this was a week in advance. But he had given me these instructions. He had told me this is what had to be done. And even though it wasn't Friday yet, even though the test wasn't in front of me yet, even though that I couldn't do like the actual things yet, I automatically changed the way that I was thinking because I knew that my dad was leaving next Friday at 5.30 to go to the hunt camp. And everything, I couldn't see it yet. It wasn't even happening yet. But I knew that at 5.30 next Friday, the boat was going to be hooked up to the truck and it was going to be on its way. That's what faith is. I can't see it yet. I don't feel it yet. But I know it's going to happen because I trust the word of the person who said it was. Amen? When you study faith and you read through it, when you read through this verse, most of the translations use four words. They use evidence. I mean, they use substance. Sorry, go to substance first. Forgive me. They use substance, evidence, assurance, and conviction. We're going to start with substance. Substance is the real physical matter of which a person or thing consists and which has a tangible, solid presence. So if, if faith is the substance, that means faith is the solid, tangible presence of something. Now, before we go any further, I want to explain something to you about when you're reading through Hebrews 11. We all know that the Bible says in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, that we're saved by grace through faith, right? We understand that. This passage of Scripture is giving us a, a, a teaching on faith that starts at salvation and moves forward. Because if you read through Hebrews 11, everything in Hebrews 11 is about what believers did because of faith or through faith. It's not the faith that got them there. It's the faith that kept them going. How many of you know that it takes one measure of faith to say yes to Jesus, but it takes an increasing measure of faith to keep saying yes to Jesus? Right? So that's the faith I'm talking about. So the first is a substance. The substance of a faith. Faith is tangible or it produces an action. The moment that my dad told me that I had to have all this stuff done, I remember this. The first thing I did was I went and started cleaning my room because it was going to take me a few days. Because it was a disaster. But faith, it became substance. It produced an action. James chapter 2 says, you can tell me that you have faith, but even demons have faith. I will show you my faith by my action. So faith has a substance to it. It becomes tangible. If somebody could throw me a water from that room, that would be absolutely amazing. My throat's giving me issues. But it's a substance. It's tangible. And people say all the time, I'm believing God to do X. Well, what are you doing to show me that you're believing God? Because it requires action. So that's the substance. The second one is the evidence. The evidence is the available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or proposition is true or valid. Faith is the proof. Faith is the proof. Well, Pastor Chris, I don't really understand. How can I have proof of something that is no water? That's fine. Don't worry about it. How can I have proof of something that hasn't happened? Sure, I'll take yours. We're related. It's okay. This has probably happened before. All right, cool. Praise God. One second, y'all. How can I have proof 
that something I can't see yet or can't feel yet is actually going to happen. How does that happen? What is the proof of it? Did you? Be- I hope there's no little bitty ears in here. Forgive me if this ruins some things. Y'all know how all the kids believe in S-A-N-T-A? I'm being careful because I see some little people. I don't want to ruin somebody's, you know, Christmas. Well, if they can spell, then they probably should be aware anyway. But just going to say, if they can't spell, you're safe. But <laughs> millions of kids believe in, 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 in that person, but they've never seen him. To the point that Caitlin and I were dating a couple of years, probably maybe, maybe a year and a half. She calls me, and she, oh, she texts me back when that used to cost per text. She texts me, and she says, hey, I'm going to call you, and I need you to be, okay, deal. So she's watching her cousin. Her cousin was cutting up, something like that. So she calls. Hello? Hello. Full-on conversation, like, we, I went all in, like the whole, I was, I was having a blast with it, right? That little girl became the most behaved little girl you ever did see. Why? Because there was evidence that she believed by the way she was living. The evidence that I believe is in the action that I'm doing. It's the substance. It's the evidence. And I I struggle with this, and I'm learning how to struggle and not judge. You ever been there? That's a whole sermon. Well, I can struggle with something and not judge, right? Because I struggle when people tell me that they're believing for God to do things in their life, but they're not faithful to the things that God asked them to do for him. Like, I struggle with that, right? Like, like don't tell me you're believing God to move in your life and fix your marriage when you don't bring your family to church. Don't tell me you're believing God to save your children when you're not getting your children an atmosphere that produces Christ-like character in them. Do the things that he has told us to do, and he will do the things he said he will do. So that's something that I, I'm not judging. I just said that. I'm learning how to struggle and not judge. But it's the faith. It's the evidence. Because just like in a couple of months when it's that certain night and that certain someone is coming, all them little people are going to turn into nuns. They're going to be angels. Absolute angels. Because it produces something in them because they are convinced. Then we have an assurance. What's the assurance? The assurance is a positive declaration intended to give confidence. The assurance. The assurance is like a ticket or a boarding pass. See, now I can buy a ticket to go to a city I've never been to six months from now. I don't know what plane I'm taking. I don't know what the weather's going to be like when I'm going. I've never seen the room I'm staying in. I've never seen the lady at the front desk. I've never seen the restaurant I'm going to eat in. But I know that I've got a ticket. I know that I have a boarding pass. I know that a destination has been purchased for me. I just haven't seen it yet. I haven't got there yet. I haven't felt it yet. But I'm convinced that I've got something here. See, faith, the assurance, it's the ticket. It's what lets me know that, no, I don't have it all yet, but I've got something that lets me know there's something else coming. And a lot of times what we do is we disregard the ticket 
because we don't see the plane. We disregard the ticket. We say, you know what? God, I haven't seen my healing yet, so you must not be a healer. No, we don't get to decide when God does what God wants to do. God decides when God wants to do what God wants to do. We get to believe that he's even going to do it for us, that he didn't, we don't deserve it. We, it does, we don't warrant the reaction. He does it out of his love and his great mercy for us, and that's what he does. When, when, when I went to Oregon a few, a few years ago with Caitlin, I just told the story this morning at the other church. Um, when I went to Oregon with Caitlin, we went and I accidentally booked. It was the best mistake I've ever made. I booked an Airbnb two and a half hours away from the city the wedding was in we were staying in. So, so I landed in Portland. I'm like, you know what? Let's see how far the Airbnb is from Portland so we can go and change and then come back. And I hit the address in and it's like two hours and 20 minutes away. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. And I show Caitlin. She's like, that can't be right. I'm like, no, it is. I promise. It's definitely right. 100% correct. What are we going to do? I'm like, well, we're not going home. We're not going there right now because we have a rehearsal dinner in two hours, and we're not going to even get there in time. So I thought about changing my Airbnb. I thought about getting a new spot closer. I thought, and then I'd have had to pay the cancellation fee. I would have had to pay for the nights. You know how all that stuff works, right? I know all this is going to happen. And I had to make a decision. Was I going to go off of what I, I, what I reserved, what I paid for, what was already set up for me? I had read the description. I, I had kind of seen what it was like. Was I going to take that and just kind of deal with the difficulty in the journey and the process between? Or was I going to take the easier route and just find a place closer? Well, I am not a person who likes to do a lot of stuff quickly. Like, I'm not the guy that wants to dig on a computer and, and find the best deal, right? When I go into the store and I see a shirt, I buy the shirt. I'm not the clearance rack hunter. It annoys Caitlin so much. I don't, like, she likes to shop, and it's an excursion. When I shop, it is a mission. Need black shirt, black shirt, grab black shirt, buy black shirt. That's it. That's all I got to do. That's it. So I'm like, you know what we going to worry about? We just got to enjoy the trip. And I remember even saying, I really want to see this room because this room looks really pretty. But I had, all I had was a confirmation number. Hear me out. All you have from God sometimes is a word. All you have from God sometimes is his word. That's it. That's all you have. But what is your faith going to do with that? What are you going to allow it to do? Are you going to allow that word to become the assurance that you stand on and you live by, or are you going to find a better, cheaper route closer by? What is it going to be? The fourth thing is it's the conviction. It's the conviction. The conviction is the act or process of finding a person guilty of a crime, especially in a court of law, a strong persuasion or belief. Faith is the ruling. I need you, I need you to catch this. Faith is the ruling. So you can have the evidence, you can have the substance, you can have the assurance. But until you pass the ruling in your own mind, you'll waver. Now, I made a decision that we were going to the Airbnb we had purchased, two and a half hours away. But when I got there, it was better than I had ever thought it would be. The pictures didn't do it justice. The description underneath the air maybe didn't do it justice. It was, uh, it's the best mistake I've ever made. 
because I stayed true to it. I had, an, I had a word, and I stayed true to it. In this particular situation with our building, I know for a fact that at some point we'll be back on our property in a better building than we've ever been in, in a better situation than we've ever had. I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know when we're going to get there. I know we will. So what I have done is I've taken the substance and I've taken the evidence and I've taken the assurance and I've used those three things to make a conviction in my own heart that you can't tell me otherwise. You can't persuade me otherwise. This is going to happen. Why? Because of who he is. My faith is not rooted in my decision. My decision is rooted in my faith because my faith is rooted in him. Amen? Now, the four words are now, we see how the Bible teaches it. It's that evidence, it's the substance, it's the assurance, and it's the conviction. But how do those things really relay to me? The three ways that faith's going to impact your life, the first thing faith does is it causes you to think differently. It causes you to think differently. When my dad came in the room and my dad said, hey, this is the deal. You got to do, you know, you got to clean your room, got to get the good grade, and you got to be home from rehearsal at 5.30. I immediately went and started cleaning my room. I couldn't pack my bag yet. I couldn't put it in, in the truck yet. I couldn't get in the truck to go to the camp yet. I couldn't get in the near stand yet. But what I could do is I could start cleaning my room. Because faith makes me think differently. You may say, Pastor Chris, I'm called to full-time ministry. What do you call to do? I'm called to be a missionary to Central America. Well, do you speak Spanish or Portuguese? No. That's where you can start. Pastor Chris, God's called me to be a pastor. He's called me to pastor a church. Okay, do you love people? No. It's a good place to start. I sat down this week at, at the pastor seminar I was with. It was me, two guys from the same church, a pastor and a, a youth pastor, and another pastor right here, and then one of the host guys. And we're introducing ourselves, and we had like 60 seconds to introduce ourselves. We get around to, the, to this guy over here in the corner there, guy by himself. He says, hi, my name's Pastor so-and-so, a pastor in such and such Alabama. And he says, and I don't like people. And the, the, the older pastor at the table said, oh, so you're a hurt pastor. And I'm like, man, we like 10 minutes in. This is getting good. <laughs> this is about to be so much fun. But my faith causes me to think differently. The moment that he said, <clears throat> here's what you have to do, I automatically began thinking of how am I going to get the room clean? When am I going to talk to Ms. Bourgeois to ask how I can get to practice earlier? Who can I ask to teach me math because I'm not going to just do it by myself, right? Like how can I plan all this out because I'm not missing open the weekend of deer season. That's just wasn't happening. So it caused me to think differently. I stopped thinking like a, you gotta, I'm telling you, you got to catch this. I'm drilling in. I'm, I'm, I'm digging a well this morning. I'm not dropping nuggets. I'm digging a well for you. So um, what you got to understand is, is that I stopped thinking like a kid who wanted to play PlayStation 2. And I started thinking like a kid who wanted to go hunting. You can't want to go hunting and still think like the kid who wants to play PlayStation 2. We translate that to adult, mature life, right? I can't think like the dad who wants to stand on Joshua with 2415, that's me in my house, we shall serve the Lord. I can't think that way and drink every night after dinner. I can't. I can't 
be the mom who wants to raise her kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord and spend all evening watching shows that do nothing but glorify the flesh. I can't do those things. They are, they are not compatible. I have to think differently. When at Romans 2, it says to be no longer conform yourself to the ways or patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The New Living says be transformed by changing the way that you think. Faith causes me to change the way that I think. The moment that I was told I was taking the pastorship of this church, it was the Wednesday after the shutdown of, of quarantine. It was March 16th, and I'm sitting in a, a renovated building that I'm now preaching in at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings in Metairie, and I'm sitting in it, and I said, hey, this is what's going to happen. And I was like, okay. The first thing I did was I went home, and I started deleting apps off my phone. I don't have time for that no more. I don't have time for that no more. I don't have time for that no more. I couldn't preach yet. I couldn't cast vision yet. I couldn't build buildings yet, but I could delete apps. There are things that you're expecting and waiting for God to do, but you're waiting for God to do it to act. No, 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 no. Get ahead of time. How terrible would it be if you know you're about to have a baby and you're on your way to the hospital and nobody's even put the baby bed together and the nursery's not done? And every mom that just got a little annoyed, every single one of you, you all just got a little anxious because I mentioned it. You're coming home with a baby and nobody had the nursery ready. But that's what it's like. God, give us a promise. God, come. your word will not return to me void. I'm standing on your word. I'm not prepared for it. I'm not ready for it. I have nothing set up for it. And I don't know what I'm going to do when you actually bring it. But I want it. No, 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 no. No. Faith changes the way I think. It makes me think differently. The second thing is it makes me feel different. Makes me feel different. Now, in our culture, or at least I could say this, for a long time, and I, I'm, I'm going to narrow this down a second. For a long time, I have preached against feelings. Right? And then, they, who is the Ben Shapiro? Facts, not feelings, whatever it is. Like, don't care about feelings. It's all about the facts. Which, yes, feelings are trumped. By facts in most cases. However, that doesn't mean feelings don't exist or they're irrelevant or I should just throw them out the window. No, faith makes me feel different. Why? Because the moment that my dad and I had the conversation and I began cleaning my room, well, as I began to see my room getting clean, I began to feel different. Because, I mean, I feel like you don't need to be taught or, or explained to that clutter makes people feel depressed and tired and slothy. That's not even a word, but you know what I mean. Just worn down. And a clean environment makes them feel better and more productive. So the moment I started doing this, it had nothing to do with going hunting, but I started to feel a little different. As I began studying and as I began asking questions for help, there was a guy at the church at the time, the youth group, who was um, like a top five graduate at hand. And I said, hey, bro, I need some help. This is math. I'm not good at this. I need to pass this test like with a B because I'm going hunting and I'm going to have to cheat if I don't get the right stuff here. I'll have to lose my character because I'm going hunting. You know what I'm saying? This is what's going to happen. But we sat down. He met with me Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of that week. The test was, sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The test was Thursday. I was going to get my grade Thursday when I left. But as I started sitting down and studying and learning, I started gaining confidence because now I could do something I couldn't do before. It made me feel different. No, no. You might not be healed of your disease yet, but if you get a daily devotion habit in your life, you'll feel different. 
I might, I might, you might not feel like your marriage is where it should be, but if you get in a life group and stay connected to it and let them women of faith start speaking life into you, all of a sudden you'll begin to feel different about a few things in your life. No, it may not be the result you want just yet, but you have to understand that God isn't interested in the result you want. God's interested in the result that he wants. And the results that he wants is so much bigger than the one you're believing for. The result he's after is the one that gets developed the whole time. Causes me to feel different. Faith will cause us to feel differently because faith in Christ produces more faith in Christ. It's a muscle. The more I use it, the more I'll have. The more faith that I put out, the more I live by faith, walk by faith, talk by faith, speak by faith, sing by faith, and live by faith. The more I do that, the more faith that I'll have. Some of you are in here saying you're struggling with your relationship with the Lord. You're struggling with doubt. You don't even know if this is real. Well, start doing some push-ups of faith. When I was doing youth ministry, I met so many young people who didn't want to go to hell, but they didn't know, they didn't believe enough to do anything about it. Well, there's your problem. You want to feel some kind of way about Jesus, start investing into your time with Jesus. Start putting your faith in him, putting your work in him, putting time into him and watch what happens. It makes me feel different. Once I think different and feel different, I begin to act different. I begin to act differently. This is the fun part. Thinking and feeling differently begin to produce action in my life, and I begin living in a way that supported the goal. I began doing, doing certain things and not doing certain things because I'm focused on the result. Faith, catch this, faith causes me to change the way I'm living because the way I'm living doesn't always match the way that I'm believing. The way that I'm living doesn't always match the way that I'm believing. And this is the reality check part where where we have to stop and analyze. I'm believing God for this, but am I living like I know he will? Think about it. The kids all over the world believe in that dude. That, you know, the guy I'm talking about? And it, it never, it never, it's every year. And it has so much impact over how they live. But that source doesn't give them anything. Ours does. If that person can have so much of an impact on the lives of kids, and Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom, you have to have faith like these little children. I put my faith in him the same way my daughter puts her faith in that guy. This faith builds me. This faith encourages me. This faith strengthens me. Can I get an amen, Caleb? Can I get an amen? Thank you, sir. It causes me to act different. You also know that once you start changing your actions, you feel better and think about how you can increase the result you're already getting. Faith in Jesus during a storm or a battle, just daily life, produces the character of Christ in me. However, the longer I serve him, the more I realize I need faith just to live for him. I want to think, feel, and act like him in every situation, not just storm or battles. I believe that if we lived lives of active and growing faith, our battles wouldn't be as overwhelming. See, what tends to happen is a lot of people they kind of bump along in Christianity. And they only push the gas when the trouble comes. 
They only, they only get it in gear when the diagnosis comes, when the pain comes, when the trauma happens. That's the only time they get it in gear. When if you'd have been in gear in the first place, the trauma wouldn't feel like it does. The problem wouldn't feel like it does. But we don't know that because we just cruise along, we bump along until, oh, well, now it's hard. I want to go back, though, to the, to the verse. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When my dad came in the room and gave me the, the arrangement for that trip, cleaning the room, be on the test, leaving the rehearsal on time, I didn't have to consider whether I believed him or not. I didn't have to wonder, well, I, I want you to read that verse real quick. I want you to look at it. Now faith is. When is now? Now. It's not tomorrow. It's not next month. It's right now. Have you ever felt like you were reaching for what you needed to make it as a Christian? Like I just, I feel like I'm empty. I feel like I don't have, that's a lie from the enemy. Because greater is he that's, where is he? In me. Greater is he that is in me. For the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. This verse says, now faith is the substance and the evidence and the assurance and the conviction. Faith is not there when the breakthrough comes. Faith is there now. Faith is not there when the healing comes. Faith is there now. Faith is not here when the restoration comes. Faith is here now. Some of you need to realize that the the answer you're looking for is here now. It's a now faith. It's not a tomorrow faith. It's not a results-based faith. It's a faith now. But you see, it's not just, this this is important, it's not just faith when I stand before God. It's faith now. Jesus says, blessed is he who sees and believes, but blessed is he who does not see and still believes. Who does not see and still believes. Some of you in this room, you've, you, you hear me talking about faith and you, you hear all this kind of stuff, but you've never, you've never given him your faith now. There's a lot of people who think about eternity and they think about what's going to happen when they die. And, they, and, and for some reason, I don't know why, and I'll apologize to you in, in a sense. I don't know why, but churches don't talk about that much. They don't talk about the fact that, that yes, I want, to, I want to live this life victorious. I want to accomplish the purpose God has for me. I want to enjoy it. I want to love my wife. I want to love my kids. I want to win a fantasy football championship and shoot a big buck this year. Like, I want to do all of those things. But all of that stuff pales in the comparison because one day, I'm going to stand before him. And Corinthians says, I'm going to have to give an account for the things done in the body. But I'm going to be looking at him. Him, eyes of fire, hair like wool, voice like mighty rushing waters. I'm going to be looking at him. I'm going to have faith in all kinds of it. Because I'm going to be looking right at him. No, no, no. Now 
faith is. I want to put my faith in him now so that when I see him, I already know the result. I know where things are going to land. I know how things are going to end. You might be here this morning. You may have never given your life to Jesus. You may have never put your faith in him. And what I mean by that is, is that you're not living with a confidence of what it'll be like when you stand before him. Y'all, I screw up. I am not a perfect individual. Shocking, I know. I'm not. But one thing I do know is that 30 years ago next month, he grabbed a hold of my little five-year-old heart in Fort Worth, Texas at a believer's convention with Gospel Bill on stage. And he put his hand on me. Somebody make that room quiet, please. He put his hand on me, grabbed my heart, and I've never been the same because I put my faith in him. I've gone through bad diagnosis. I've gone through struggles. I've gone through storms. I've gone through problems. I've gone through battles. I've been on the top of a mountain, and I've been in the bottom of the valley, and he's been there every single step of the way. And while I'm here at 30 years next month, September 20-something, while I'm here now, 30 years from now, when I'm 65, and I've been serving him 60 years, you know what I'll be able to say? He was with me on the mountains. He's with me in the valleys, and he's with me the entire time in between. But you know why? Because I put my faith in him now. Every head bowed this morning.